0: Welcome to the PCTR podcast. I'm Robbie Ederberg, senior pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at Facebook.com/pctrnj or our Instagram handle pctrnj. Or you can find more information and resources at pctr.org. Have a great day. Peace. And hello. Good morning. Um, My name is Christian. If we haven't had a chance to meet, I'm one of the pastors here at PCTR. Robbie is having an extended um, Thanksgiving uh, vacation, and so that is good. We love having him refreshed and ready as we kind of get ready for the Christmas season, which is a very busy season here indeed. And um, we have entered into Advent, obviously, with the decorations, with the wreath, with um, the, the songs that we are singing, and we have entered a new church season, and today we are kicking off a new sermon series the, the series is called, Who is Coming for Christmas? And it is our Advent um, series. And Advent literally means arrival. It's an old word that means arrival. And in this series, uh, we're anticipating, recalling, again, the first coming of Jesus at Christmas. And he comes as the ultimate prophet the uh, priest and king. And we'll be looking at each of those dimensions of who Jesus is. But before we get to those in the following weeks, we are going to take some time to consider our own preparation. Advent traditionally is a time of preparation for receiving Christ. And we want to take a look at that. And so today we are considering, are you ready? Are you ready for who's coming at Christmas? (laughs) you. <laughs> And I don't know what it's like for you in your home. I don't know if you were a guest at Thanksgiving or you hosted guests at Thanksgiving. Um, I don't know if you have any kind of traditions or things that you do to extend hospitality. Um, recently in the month of September, I went on a trip with my uh, mother and stepfather to Europe and we got to be guests. And um, we went. We started out in Denmark and we were greeted by a family friend, someone that was actually an exchange student uh, and stayed in my house when I was in high school, when I was a freshman, and we have stayed in touch. And her name is Sue, and we met at the airport. I have a picture for you. Hopefully, we can get that up um, on the screen there it is. Sue is there on the right. And um, she greeted us. This is in the airport in Copenhagen. She has a sign. It might be a little bit hard to read, but it says, beware Christian and Dale and Dovey have invaded Denmark. And so she greeted us, and this is kind of our tradition. She showed up with this handmade sign, and then you might uh, have a hard time seeing it, but in Dale's hand is a Diet Coke. Uh, And she greeted us with cold Diet Cokes, and then my mom has a bag of little snack size Snickers. And this is just kind of this tradition to show up with a cold beverage and, and something that the person would have, you know, some uh, nourishment. And it's just it's an act of hospitality. And I remember Sue um, greeting us and then loading us up in her family car and driving to her home. And she had a a, a room set aside for me and prepared a bed and, and all these things, towels. And it was just all these examples of hospitality and um, um, she and her family cooked some of our favorite Danish foods, which includes fricadilla. I don't know if we have any Danish people who are familiar with fricadilla, but it's like a sausage milk thing. You kind of make it in your hand and you, uh, you, you fry it. And they, uh, they know that my family loves this, and so they cooked it fresh. I remember standing there and smelling it as Thomas cooked these for us. And they did th- those types of things. And this was all kind of in preparation to create a hospitality and to extend that. And they had done these preparations for us. And so again, I don't know if you have any of these traditions um, that you do, especially anticipating possible guests um, in your home for Christmas time and being together, things that you can do to enhance your time together. We want to think about that um, and the preparations that we can do anticipating that Christ is coming. And... uh, as we think about this, Christmas has become covered over with so much cultural baggage. And there are pop songs that have nothing to do with the birth of Christ. Um, they perhaps catch the joy, but they miss what the, the the true meaning of the season. We want to pull that back and really look at this. And our passage today really gets at this. It's the beginning of the Gospel of Mark. It's the first eight verses, and in it there is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is seen as the precursor, as the messenger of uh, the person preparing the way for Jesus. He appears in all four Gospels. And we want to um, see this very Old Testament person heralding in the, the coming of Christ. And so let us hear our, God's word for us today found in Mark 1, 1 through 8 the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. As is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism for the repentance repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to swoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in prayer. Lord, thank you for your word. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be here and open up your word to us, that we would hear you speaking to us, speaking your love to us, so much so recalling that you sent your son to save us. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I've been to Chiapas six times, and uh, I, the first time I went, it, the roads were quite rough from the airport to our destination that day, three hours away. And Chiapas is one of the poorest states of Mexico, and so I wasn't surprised. Uh, it was kind of anticipated. But the second time I went there, I was amazed. The first 60 minutes of the drive, the road was as small as butter. It had recently been paved and there were LED streetlights, um, the likes I had never seen in Mexico, let alone these were, these were kind of even new in the U.S. But here they had them. And I wondered what was going on in the first 60 minutes to where we got to this one city. Um, and beyond that, it was the same as before. But something had happened. And so I asked and they said, well, Just recently, the Pope was here. And because the Pope, they made straight the roads and they had prepared them and made them and they were very nice. (laughs) Again, a, a, a means of preparing the way. Um, and John the Baptist is preparing the way for the people in that time, but for us as well. His his words echo down as that of a prophet. And Jesus considered him not only a prophet, but the best among the prophets, which is very high praise. The Among the prophets are Elijah, who wrote the largest book of prophecy that we have. It's, it's a, a, a lengthy book and. And uh, Isaiah is often referred to as the prophet. But Jesus says John the Baptist is the greatest among them. There's Elijah whose ministry was anticipated to um, proceed the coming of the Messiah. And he was taken up into heaven while still alive. And there was Moses and his prophetic ministry. He literally brought God's uh, law down from the mountain to his people. And there was Enoch, whose life was translated from earthly life after a very long life into heaven. These are the people that John the Baptist are in, he is in company with, but Jesus says he is even more. And just to think a little bit more about John the Baptist that we have here who helps prepare our hearts and our minds for Jesus. John the Baptist is like Moses in that Moses um, leads the people in the wilderness and comes to the waters of the Jordan, but um, goes no farther. Moses died in the wilderness, not able to go into the promised land. And John the Baptist um, is at the Jordan uh, river there in the wilderness um, seeking to guide the people to prepare themselves, but he will not be able to enjoy Christ's kingdom breaking in because he will soon be arrested and then eventually beheaded in um, Herod's household. And so there's some strong similarities between John the Baptist and Moses. Um, John the Baptist has this unusual appearance. We hear these things and we wonder what it means that he has camel's hair and binds himself with a leather um, belt. And I guess we could, because we're so separated by two millennia, it's possible to think, well, maybe that's just how they dressed. I don't know. But But they're actually making note of it and that, no, this is unusual that he has the appearance. This is symbolic wear. These, his clothing is symbolic of um, um, a prophet, and the belt especially would remind people of Elijah and the description that Elijah had, how he bound himself with a leather belt. And so he has this appearance. He has these foods of locusts. I don't know when the last time you had locusts. Um, uh, locusts were actually allowed the, in the Torah. In on the uh, book of Leviticus, there's all there's basically a holiness code of the. Things that the people were to do to um, uh, be holy before God. To um, be holy as God is holy. And in there it says you are to not eat any insects except locusts. And and so John the Baptist, in doing what he can in the wilderness, food is limited, there's no McDonald's, there's no Chick-fil-A, there's not a whole lot to eat there, but he eats locusts, and he is in agreement with the holiness code. Um, It is strange, but it's food of the country, as is the wild honey. High calorie and nourishment, and, and sweet honey can be very pleasant. And so there's everything about him and this description that he is this prophet speaking to the people in the wilderness. And he's calling them this passage of one calling in the wilderness is in all four Gospels. John the Baptist himself is in all four Gospels. And this passage that comes from Isaiah, that he was one calling in the wilderness, must surely have gone back to John the Baptist's very um, ministry. And it's how he saw it And it was agreed to by the gospel writers that in him is the fulfillment of this promise that had come centuries before. God had long promised that a messenger would come. And here is that person, John the Baptist, coming with all his appearance as one dedicated and set aside for his whole life in the service of God. And he is doing that. And calling the people with a baptism of repentance and his preaching. Um, At the heart of his preaching is that Jesus is coming and he calls the people to prepare. And as I mentioned before, some people prepare guests by preparing a room or preparing smooth roads. His work was to prepare the hearts and minds of the people to receive Christ. And so he has this message for that they would be prepared. And he offers this baptism. This baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And it's repentance to change is a powerful image. It's a really important image that we have in Scripture. It's literally this idea that we are going our own way, but we stop and realize, realizing our own way is wrong. We stop, we turn, and we go the other way. And we go towards God's way. I remember a powerful image of this from a movie. It's about 10 years ago, but it's the movie The Blind Side um, that Sandra Bullock was in. And there's a a powerful uh, point where it's about young Michael Orr who... um, was in high school and was in a very difficult situation and living, uh, basically in poverty. And the, the, um, the family comes upon him one day, um, and he is in shorts and a t-shirt and a cold day like today. And, um, the mother utters these words that have a profound impact. She says, turn around. And that family turned the car around and, well, welcomed Michael into the car and eventually into their lives to be a part of their family. And he grows up, he is a wonderful uh, football player and becomes a a drafted football player in the NFL. And it's a powerful story how this family paused and turned around and changed their direction. And lives were impacted. Their own lives, Michael's lives, and others' lives were impacted. When we repent, when we stop going our way and turn around, amazing things can happen. And we can start going Christ's way. And we hear this actually in this passage. It's very subtle, but what the passage that we have here has been, uh, the quotes from the Old Testament have slightly been modified. Um, where it says, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. Your way. The, the your there is modified um, from the original quote because it's referring to Christ and Christ's way. He is calling them to uh, that way. And the Christians, we use the term Christians to refer to ourselves. And and it it comes from the Bible, but the term Christians only appears three times in the Bible. More often, actually, uh, I think nine plus times, Christians are referred to as the people of the way. The way. And we are invited all to be in Christ's way. And that's what John the Baptist is doing, is calling the people to Christ's way, that they would be prepared to receive this baptism. And John the Baptist lets them know that um, that they should receive this baptism, but Jesus' baptism is going to be even greater. And um, John offers a baptism in the water, and it's for the forgiveness of sins that addresses those sins, but says that Jesus' baptism will be that of the Holy Spirit, the long-promised Holy Spirit coming. And it's, it's qualitatively different. It's exponentially more. There has been this long-standing promise that the Holy Spirit would come upon the people, not just upon prophets, or kings, or priests, or any of those, but for all Christians. And the way it's talked about, this baptism of the Holy Spirit isn't some second stage of Christian life. It's something that all Christians receive that blessing, the Holy Spirit who comes and dwells with us. We we would have a part of God with us, the part that sets us free to new life. And uh, works with us to live, to transform lives, because God loves us too much to leave us as we are, but calls us to be more like Jesus. And as we become Christians and we have Jesus as our Lord and Savior, as we receive the Holy Spirit in this baptism, there 's still a transformation. To become more like Jesus. We are seen by God as innocent. Christ's um, uh, righteousness is transferred to us. But we need to live into that and be transformed. And the Holy Spirit helps us with that. It's an ongoing process that's not complete until we finish our earthly life. And we go to be with Christ. And so all this preparation. All this thinking about... um, the John the Baptist and the message that he has for us and thinking about it in this time, I, I think that it's helpful to recall and we can build on this to hear John's words echoing through the two millennia that we would prepare ourselves as well. Wherever we are in that journey, um, find a way to prepare a place for Christ again as we come into this Advent season. And I have this, I was shared this kind of parable of what it's like to prepare our lives for Christ. I heard it when I was uh, a young person. I went with my youth group leader and there was someone there. I I, I remember his name because uh, I haven't, even to this day, I don't hear it very often. His name was Maynard Munger. Uh, You ever met a Maynard? (laughs) Um... Maynard Munger. And he told me about this parable that his father came up with, uh, Robert Munger. And um, it's this parable of preparing our hearts for Christ. And it's called, I encourage you to look it up. I'm going to give you just a brief version of it as a way to um, think about how we can prepare ourselves for Christ. But it's called My Heart Christ Home. And it has this image that the person's life is like a home. And, but the person encounters Christ and welcomes Christ into the, their home. And Christ brings a light and a freshness into the home. And Christ has offered a room in the home to stay. And the person is so excited and wants to show the home to Christ. And Christ is shown around. First, they go to the study or the library, in some sense, the control room of the house, of of the life. And the person realizes when they bring Jesus in that there's actually some embarrassing stuff in the room. And what's on the coffee table, what's on the walls, and there's some images there that he's not uh, very proud of. But Christ suggests that his picture be put Prominently, and let everything flow from there. And it transforms that study. It transforms the control room of the person's life. And they are impacted by it. Next is a visit to the dining room. And in the dining room, the person offers the food that they've been partaking in uh, to feed the appetites uh, of, the, of them. And Christ is offered, but he does not partake because he finds that it's not sustaining food. Probably junk food, actually, um, in, in, in modern parlance, but it, it, it's not sustaining. But Christ offers something different. He offers to do his work and his will, and how sustaining that can be. Next is to the living room, which is a wonderful, intimate place, overstuffed, overstuffed furniture and a fireplace, and Christ thinks this is wonderful. We should meet here regularly every morning, and they agree to do that. And that starts to be part of the habit, although occasionally there's a skipped day. And then it becomes two days and three days and longer. And in one day, the person is in some sense coming down the stairs, headed out the door in the morning, head out and they realize that there's light in the room. And goes in and sees that Jesus is there and has been faithful. Even though the person hadn't been faithful, Jesus had been faithful. The person admits that they want to be better connected to Christ and asks him to help with that and and pledges to be there and connect. Another area in the home is that of the workshop. And the person goes and shows Jesus the the workshop but admits that they feel that it's not very well equipped and they can't do good things. But Jesus says actually it is well equipped there are good tools, there are good gifts there, and they can use that. But the person's not quite sure. And so Jesus comes around and works the hands and the fingers of the person to do works with the gifts and the tools that the person has. And it's amazing what they can do as they lean into that. Another area in this house is that of the family room, the playroom. It deals with the associations, the family, sorry, the friendships, the activities, the amusements. Uh, everything that the person used to amuse themselves and would, in some sense, hold on to. Some of those were edifying and some of them weren't. And Jesus offers to transform it. Then one day... The person comes back to the house and opens the door and senses a smell. And Jesus comes down the stairs and says, there's something that smells horrible upstairs. And instantly the person knows what that is. And it's this closet where the person has been holding on to one or two things. They are dead and dying and lead to death. And they are stinking up the place, but the person isn't ready to let them go. But Jesus says it is too awful and he cannot stay there. He'd rather sleep outside. And as Jesus moves to go there, he, um, he, uh, the, the person responds and says, you know what, Jesus, That I'd rather you be here. Can you help me with this? And offers the key to this closet of these things. And Jesus does. He clears it out. He paints it and makes it fresh and all new. And the person whose home this is realizes what they should have done all along. And they go to the safe and take the title to the house, the deed, and sign it over to Jesus and give it to him and says that he would merely stay on as a helpmate, as as someone there, but the house belongs to him. His, his house has become Christ's home. I think this is a helpful parable. It's been helpful for me through my life. This is the very quick Reader's Digest version. Um, but it's a progressive thing. And it, it suggests all these different areas. And I don't know where you are. You might have a very um, Christ-oriented home. Maybe you don't. But take this season to prepare yourself, to prepare to receive Christ and address an area. Give an area or give over the title, sign that deed um, over to Christ. Taking a step closer, hearing the words of John the Baptist as he beckons us to prepare the way for Christ. Amen.